Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and excited to be with you again this month to bring you another incredible, relatable role model, because we all know that we got to see it to be it. And so I'm here to show you amazing women that can be your role models. And today is no different than in the past. We have another amazing woman, Dr. Shirley Davis, who is the CEO of SDS Enterprises. She is a DEI advocate, so a woman after my own heart, because that's a space that I'm very, very passionate about. And she is also an entrepreneur. So we have a lot in common. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Welcome, Dr. Davis. Hi, Melinda. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, I am as well. And I'm really looking forward to just diving in about what's happening, you know, vis-a-vis COVID. But before we before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about you. What was your big dream when you were growing up? When you were a little girl, what did you think you were going to be? And what did your path look like to get to where you are today? I can remember as a child having a very vivid imagination, but also dreaming and imagining things that I could do and be in places that I could go. I didn't have fears or limitations or any of those experiences that might cause you to have fears and doubt. But I remember wanting to be like an all-star athlete. I wanted to be a a lawyer. I wanted to be a fashion model, high fashion model in New York. I wanted to be an actress. And I can also remember too, wanting to be a writer and do a lot of work in the area of, you know, developing other people. Mm, That's awesome. And I love that you talk about not having any limitations because that's not necessarily the norm always, certainly for women and, you know, more so for women of color. So how do you think you came by just not having those limitations? Well, you know what I said as a kid, these are things that I wanted to do. And, you know, as children, we don't have that many experiences that then have caused trauma, caused pain, caused hurt, rejection, and all of those things that can cause us to have those fears and limitations. Now, I can tell you, Melinda, that as a child, I I dreamed those things and imagined those things. But as I got older and went off into college and started living a little bit, yes, I started having experiences that caused me to self-doubt, that caused me to have, you know, reasons to fear, and it caused me to truly kind of shrink a little bit. Yeah, interesting. When you look back on those experiences now that cause that initial doubt and that fear and cause you to shrink, I love the way you describe that. Do they seem big today? Something you had to overcome? Are you like, gosh, why did I ever let that bother me? I think we all still have sometimes those doubts and fears, but I can tell you that mine has really been minimized, almost eliminated in a lot of the major areas of my life. I can say, yeah, sometimes I'll have a big, big opportunity. For example, I got asked to be on a national board and I started looking at the people who were on the board and I'm like, they want me, right? So I had these (laughs) what if questions and just wanting to make sure that I didn't talk myself out of this great opportunity. But then I remembered, no, I am wonderful. I am educated. I am smart. I've got great ideas. And that's why they came after me. So yes, and I wrote that book, right? Living Beyond Your What Ifs, because Mm. we all have them, but I had to get over a lot of those what ifs. Yes, I went to 
YouTube and I saw your theme song and I loved it. <laughs> and I love you have all the words that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a good theme song. Oh my God. So if you guys have not seen it, you need to go check out Shirley Davis. She's got her theme song on her website. It's it's fabulous. Yeah. And the theme song actually is Melinda. It's called Living Beyond What If. And it brings the book to life. I got the theme song to go with the book. And it mm. tells the stories that I think all of us can relate to of having those fears and then walking in doubts. And someday we get this reaction and this reality check of, I want to do better. I want to be better. I'm going to become a better version of myself. And I'm going to get beyond my what ifs. When you wrote the book, did you write the book as a sort of a catharsis, sort of a personal journey of you getting through this? Or did you write it because when you got through it, you saw like, oh my gosh, nobody should have to go through what I went through. Like what was the impetus for the book? Melinda, it was all the above. I believe that we go through things in life, not only to help us be stronger and to learn something from it so we get better, but I also believe that it's not about us alone, that we go through things and we have an obligation and a responsibility and even an opportunity to help other people who may be facing the same things too. You know, tests and trials in life are things I would say is an equal opportunity, right? Everyone will have an opportunity to be faced with them. And so I wrote the book. I share a lot of my own personal stories, my personal journey. I share the stories of other people who I've mentored and coached over time who also were stuck in their what ifs. I share their story of how they got beyond them. And I share some of the strategies and tips for the journey on how to get to that place where you can feel your best self and live in confidence and live in peace and live with great fulfillment. And that's where I'm at today. That's awesome. Sounds like a must read. (laughs) It is. Let's talk a little bit about your career background and how you got into the diversity, equity, and inclusion into that work. And then as you sort of moved on, then what spurred you to start your own company? So I spent 30 years actually in corporate America and then working for a large, large global nonprofit. I would say too that my career found me. I didn't grow up saying, you didn't hear when I said earlier, what were some of my dreams and goals as a child. I didn't grow up saying one day I want to be in HR. Another another dream wasn't I wanted to be a chief diversity officer. But I do believe that in life that your past will collide. You collide with destiny. And so it's interesting, all the things that I did throughout my early childhood, some of the things that I learned were really preparing me for the job that I ultimately got. You know, I started out in banking when I was in college, and that's what got me through college. And then I stayed in banking for about 15, 16 years. And one day they came to me because there was a need, a new regulation, a new law that had passed that they needed to reach out to more diverse communities at the bank. And I just happened to be the only one. (laughs) I happened Mm. to be the only woman of color. And I can tell you that's how a lot of my colleagues got into this field as well, too, is we got selected because we were the quote unquote only one. And they assumed we knew everything there was to know about diversity and inclusion. And I didn't know. I mean, I knew and had experienced being discriminated against and experienced being overlooked and undervalued and marginalized. But I didn't know what it meant to drive the strategy in an organization. But I ultimately got into that field of HR and then worked in HR for a number of years and then ultimately got into diversity and inclusion because companies said, hey, we need someone and uh, you fit the bill. Interesting. So let's dive a little bit about uh, into the DEI movement and specifically 
you know, as, you know, as it relates to what's going on with COVID. You know, I know that prior to COVID hitting the last, you know, few years, it had been huge buzzword. I mean, there was a diversity <laughs> pledge that CEOs were making and yeah. everybody was sort of wearing this big badge and we're going to do this and we're going to have X number of women and X number of diverse hires by this date and, you know, all these big proclamations, right? So I'm kind of curious just because I deal a lot in this space. And, you know, I'm sort of curious what you're hearing out there, you know, as a practitioner in terms of what's happening in corporate America, or is that, is that still a primary focus? Are they more worried about sort of this whole remote workforce now? You know, there are lots of other issues that are sort of overriding that. What do you feel about the movement of that, the forward movement, I guess? A couple of things. We have been, my firm has been overwhelmed ever since George Floyd's murder last year, and it has not slowed down. So we have been really on the forefront, and I'm glad to be one of those go-to resources because we're very comprehensive in our approach. We are a full-service firm, right? So everything from how do you message to the public to also how do you ensure you're building a culture of inclusion, belonging, and high performance. We do the organizational assessments. We did so many listening sessions last year. We did more in the last year than I had done in 20 years of listening sessions, nearly a hundred listening sessions. And it's great because here's the thing, Melinda, I don't believe it's going to go away, not only because of the pandemics, you know, remote work and the global workforce that pushed everybody home and now a whole new reality. But you're right. This has been a hot topic and something that's been relevant for a number of years. And it's because we're experiencing such a demographic shift and we're seeing it now more pervasive. And when we see this new generation of talent coming in, they want different things. They expect different workplace cultures. They want a certain type of leader that they want to work for. They have different ways of communicating. And if companies don't get on board, they're going to miss the opportunity to truly tap into top talent. And top talent looks like me, looks like you, female, African-American or other ethnicities, people of color, the age cohorts are out there, right? Five generations now for the first time working together We got, you know, 7 billion people on the planet, but the research tells us that 1 billion lives with a disability. And even in the U.S., when you start to look at, you know, LGBTQ, nearly five and a half percent of our population identifies there. So think about all of the ways now that we have all of this diversity working alongside each other and we have social media and then you have these high expectations and then you have competition and you got skills gaps and now people are working differently and we're hyper-connected. Ah, we'll be around for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Which is excellent, excellent news. And I know that, you know, everybody's seeing sort of this mass exodus of people. And I think when we finally stop, which we kind of got a hard stop, right? Um, what we wanted to or not, you know, you start evaluating and really evaluating. So those cultural environments and people say, well, you know what, I have a choice. Do I really want to be doing this in a company? It matters more than ever. Um, So people didn't just, um, you know, last year, the number one word of of the year was in 2020 was, I remember it was a couple of them, pivot was one. Mm. And the other one was a three word phrase, right? You are muted. (laughs) And so, but when you look at the fact that people pivoted last year, they didn't just reinvent themselves. They reinvented relationships. They reinvented the work environments that they wanted to work in. They started looking at, you know, life and saying, is this what I want to do? I'm experiencing now an opportunity to be home, to spend more quality time with my kids. I'm able to do things that I hadn't been doing around my house and my yard and my community. And this is what for me is more important, right? And so you're right, 3.9 
million people alone just in June and July. Each of those lost that many people. And so we're calling this the great resignation. You've been hearing a lot about that, Mm -hmm. but people are choosing a different path in their lives. And they're saying, you're right. Is this the kind of company I want to work for? The kind of culture I want to work in? Am I getting treated fairly and and equitably? Do I like my boss? Is my boss toxic? Right? So all of these things are causing people to rethink and position where they want to be next. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think about those statistics vis-a-vis women? Because of course you're hearing women are leaving the workforce in mm-hmm. this, you know, mass resignation more than anyone. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of concern, you know, that that's going to take us back. So how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's a real problem. And I think companies are going to truly have to address it and solve for it. Look, women make up nearly half of the workforce now, but women are also still overwhelmed with not only work responsibilities, but childcare responsibilities and other home responsibilities. So we've got some work to do in our workplace cultures to make our policies much more flexible, much more friendlier. We've got to make sure that we are creating the kind of environment that allows women to excel, to get the kind of coaching and mentoring that they need to not feel the kinds of pressures that have been truly committed from men. A lot of times male dominated industries and sectors where they don't think women can handle certain jobs or they don't think women are cut out for certain leadership positions. But women are leaving the workforce in higher droves because not only were many of them furloughed or laid off, but many of them made choices to leave because kids were home from school and having to you know, learn virtually and childcare centers were shut down. So we had to take the brunt of that responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see moving forward, you know, how those things are addressed. I mean, it's absolutely, you know, more flexibility, but you know, what about money? I mean, I think so much of it comes when, is this really worth what I'm doing? Because we're still not being paid. Yes you know, the same as men. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, the biases. And that's another thing that we have been getting overwhelmed, not only listening sessions and organizational assessments and audits, but we have really been getting a lot of calls about implicit bias training, because you recognize at the core of that are the biases that keep us from being paid fairly and equitably, the biases that that women aren't hired in certain positions or women don't get promoted as fast. And look at this, Melinda, When you think about even those women that are at the heads of corporations, out of the Fortune 500, there's only 41. 500 companies and only 41 head them up. We got work to do. And yes, that parity and that equity needs to be a main focus. And it does start with equity and inclusion. It starts with implicit bias training, but then it goes to accountability, change your policies, update your strategies, and put programs in place that are much more accommodating and then much more flexible that bring women in. Do you feel like the new requirements sort of thrown down by, you know, Wall Street about having women on boards, do you think that is going to create some of the change that we want to see? And then is that enough? I mean, it's not women of color. It's not people of color or of, you know, different sexual orientations is the mandate, you know, is it going far enough? You know, at the end of the day, the board makeups, I mean, how, how important do you think that is for the progression of this whole DEI movement about having the boards represent? I think it's really important. And I think it's a start, like you said, too, when you start having targets and you make it a priority and you say, we need to look at what we don't have, we need to identify where we have underrepresented talent where we may be missing out on talent. And talent comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, genders, backgrounds, experiences, and cultures, right? And so I think it's a start for boards to diversify 
and look at the fact that they need to hold their presidents and CEOs accountable in the organization, but they can't do it if they're not looking diverse themselves, right? So I think that's important. And I do think that it needs to trickle down to not just women, but certainly to people of color and to people who have different thoughts and perspectives and ideas and people who come from different industries and sectors, even amongst that company. Look for leaders who have transferable skills and recognize that talent comes in all different backgrounds and diverse attributes. And you've got to know that you got to look outside your traditional network. And a lot of times if the board looks like everyone else and the senior executive, they all look alike and they don't look like everyone else, you need to diversify and build a broader network and cast your net broader. That's right. Yes. It's top down. You know, if if from the very top, it doesn't look diverse. It's hard. I mean, I look at that even when I'm joining a nonprofit board just recently about, wait a minute, this is a bunch of white guys. I'm sure they're all wonderful people, but that's not really my MO. I don't think that my ideas are going to be represented. More diverse individuals are starting to make that decision and saying, no, you know, you can recruit me all you want, but you're not going to get me. And you know what, Melinda, you're exactly right. I'm at a stage now in my career, you know, as I left corporate America and I launched my own global consulting business, I did it on my own terms. I did it in my own way. I created my own exit strategy and I determined and decided when and how I was going to live and how I was going to run my company and how I was going to let the next chapter of my life be the best of my life. And so I agree with you that as we look at now, we have choices and options, right? We got experience under our belt and expertise under our belt and we're wanted, we're needed. I have decided that for me, I may be that first And I may be the only, but if I'm going to get on that board, I'm not going to be the last, right? So they may look all white. You know, so (laughs) one of my friends said, uh, we're pale, male, and stale, (laughs) older white men, pale, male, and stale, but we're committed to diversity. And so I recognize, okay, if I'm going to be the first one and the only one, I need to know what your commitment is to making sure that we diversify this board. Yeah. There's a friend of mine who was talking about, she's had a couple big exits from companies and she's been recruited over the last several years to be on corporate boards, which, you know, can be very lucrative. And she now writes into her contract that within one year, they have to bring another woman on the board. Oh, wow. She's like, I go for a twofer. I don't even, and if they say, sorry, we can't commit. She said, then I can't commit. You know, it's like the Tom shoe model, buy one, give one. She said, yeah, and most of the time they're so stunned, but they're like, okay, and they agree to it, and I hold their feet to the fire. I love that, and I may do that same thing too, but I am vocal about the fact that we need to diversify, and here's my network. I appreciated the authenticity of saying, we haven't done a good job of diversifying. We know we need to do better. That's why we need you on our board, not because we're looking for a token, but because we know that we have to tap into a more broader and more diverse network, and we want to start with you. Okay, be honest about it, and then we can work from there. That's why I call the podcast, See It to Be It, because you've (laughs) got to, you do, you have to see that to be able to feel like, okay, wait, I can do that too. Yes, I should apply for that job because I can see someone like me that's doing that. There are a lot of exciting things going on. And I love talking to you because you are so realistic yet hopeful about creating the change. And, you know, there has been a lot of reason to not feel so hopeful. It feels good to hear that and know, and it kind of inspires us all to do more. So thank Thank you you for the work that you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you so much. It's in the heart and it's in the attitude, right? It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. And for me, I've been through enough hell and back and I've survived it. I've thrived through it. And now for me, it's just about how you look at every challenge. And I think opportunities are brilliantly disguised 
or challenges are brilliantly disguised as opportunities for us to, you know, take it on by the horn and not be afraid and make a difference. You're a female entrepreneur. You founded your own company. Where do you sort of look for mentorship or guidance? Sometimes when you get to the top of your game, it's harder to find. So where do you go? What's your go-to? I have a great network of other senior executive women who sit on boards or who have their own companies or their executives in their company. So having that network begets another network, begets another network, right? So when you are reaching out and building relationships and sharing ideas, someone's always going to have another resource or they're going to share with you another idea. So I think that for me is where I get it. And then I oftentimes find someone who is about five to 10 years beyond where I am and it's where I want to get get to. So, you know, I want to run a multi-million dollar and then a multi-billion dollar company. So guess what? I'm looking for those successful female entrepreneurs that are doing the same thing. So I oftentimes will do that. When I get on boards, I'm looking for mentors. They don't necessarily have to be a formal mentor, but I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm looking at what they're doing. You know, I'm just emulating some of that learning, intimating it into my own life. But I do have two formal mentors for me that are both in my speaking business as well as entrepreneurs. And I tap into their brilliance often and I am better for it. Well, I love that you talk about a network of women. I mean, this is probably like the most quoted statistic on this podcast because invariably the women I'm interviewing bring that up as a key element of success. And of course, you know, I've known this anecdotally for years. A couple of years ago, they finally did a study and it showed that when women have a strong network of other women, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they actually are more successful and have more opportunity and get farther. And even more so when they have a mixed group of men and women that are in their network. And I always talk to women about share your networks. It is the most powerful thing that we can do to elevate each other, to accelerate our success. That's right. And, you know, time and time again, I don't ever have anybody on here that's successful that doesn't say it's about this great network of women. So, yeah, I (laughs) totally agree with that. I actually use this phrase as well. And actually, I put it as a chapter in my book. It's called Relationships are the New Currency. Mm. And it's because it's not just what you know, and it's not always just who you know, it's what they know about you. Because 99% of my business, it's thriving, but it comes through referrals and it comes through those recommendations. So I don't have to do a lot of marketing because I've got a great and a broad network of people and people will buy from, they'll do business with, they promote and they pay more for the people that they like, trust and know. Yeah. Like, trust and know. And so my network has helped me to do that as well. They've caused my business to truly grow because I'm constantly saying, okay, what resource do you have for that? And who did you do for this? And what did you do when you had this situation? And it just saves me time, money and effort of having to go out and learn it the hard way. Yes, I hear you. I think that's absolutely wonderful. What has been like on a personal level, what has been one blessing or upside for you during this whole crazy COVID time? I can tell you that I, for the first time in my gosh, 30, 40 years, when I left home at 17 and went to college, I never went back home to live with my parents. So I've been all over the world. I've traveled to 34 different countries, travel 80% of the time, even in my company now. But Melinda, I really had not realized how much I was missing out on just being at home, sitting down, getting reacquainted with myself, and then having the opportunity to reconnect with people that I didn't get to do with as much. My mom and dad, 
I got them to come to Florida where I live from Washington, D.C., and I made them into snowbirds. They have never, ever spent (laughs) six months with me. They came in October. Mom came first and then dad came in November and they stayed until March. We had the best time getting connected. They got to learn and see me in my element and they got a chance to get to know me as a grown woman, an entrepreneur, a business executive, you know, all of those titles, writer and consultant and speaker. And I got to know my parents in their older age, you know, their mid to late seventies. And I got to know them. So for me, it was reconnecting with what's most important. And a lot of times the things we take for granted. I'm so glad that you got to do that. So are they going to come again this winter? They are sold. And (laughs) (laughs) I could never get my dad to leave, you know, his ranch in the Maryland, DC area to come here. But when he did, we had so much fun. We hung out. We got along well. And they're like, we can't wait to come back. So they're coming back this year, right after Thanksgiving, they're going to stay till March. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Well, good for you. That's so wonderful. You know, I have a couple of friends who spent their careers in corporate America and again, 90% travel and neither of them were considering retiring for a few years. You know, they just Uh hadn't really, they weren't actively thinking at the lockdown happened within 90 days for both of them. They both decided they needed to retire because for all their career, all they missed, it just, it, it was like rushing at them. Yes. Everything they're missing and all of a sudden they're home for their kids and the yes. conversations they're having. And they're like, this yeah. is what I've been missing. They didn't know. That's right. Because we get into a rut and we get into automatic drive. And I did the same thing. I can totally relate because my body adjusted. Mm-hmm. And so my lifestyle and my body, they came together. And I didn't realize how much of the hustle and the bustle until I sat down and got a chance to relax and said, I can get used to this. I need to slow my roll a little bit. I can mm-hmm. still be very, very productive and profitable. But now that I have pivoted, right, I digitized my entire business. 100% of everything we offer can be done virtually. So it's not hurt. As a matter of fact, we had our very best year ever last year. Wow. And this year we even slated to exceed that because now we can be available to so many more people around the world on different time zones. And I don't have to travel all over the place, you know, the hustle and the bustle. Right. And even for these companies that now they have remote workers and people in different cities, they can offer your services. You know, they don't have to be in one particular city. So I can see that, you know, really being our new normal, right? Yeah, the new new normal. Very interesting. This has been so much fun. I would love for you um, as we're kind of closing up to just tell us, I know you've written a couple books. I Mm -hmm. noticed on your website, you actually have a whole section of free resources, which (laughs) I think is absolutely amazing. Um, But I would love for you just to tell people how they can you know, access your greatness, no matter where they are, even if they're not in a big company. Thanks so much, Melinda. I'm so glad you got a chance to go to my YouTube channel. I would encourage people, please do that and subscribe, but go to Amazon, order the book. It just released last week. It is hot off the press. Oh, it wow. Yeah. It just released last week. It's called Living Beyond What, How Do You Release mm-hmm. the Limits and Realize Your Dreams? There's another book in there called How to Get a Seat at the Table When You're Overperforming and Undervalued. That will be a lot of us as women. And then mm-hmm. I have another one on reinventing yourself. So please stay connected with me. I'm on LinkedIn, social media, all of them, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on Clubhouse. I'm on TikTok. So everywhere there's social media platforms, I'm there. But please buy the book and please indulge in it and let it change your life so that for, you know, for everyone that I wrote these stories about, they can be inspired and empowered to live their best lives too. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We're so excited to just watch you and see what you do next. I have a feeling there's a lot more coming down the pike. <laughs> you do not seem like you're slowing down. You're just doing it in a different way. <laughs> I am. You're exactly right, Melinda. It's been phenomenal talking with you. Great discussion. Thanks for the wonderful questions. Yes, you as well. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.